the joke is uh, is usually on me. That's um, the most useful. In terms of the which way am I punching, I'm in the more anecdotal end of it all. So I'm just punching myself most of the time. I'd love Thierry Henry to know him as a rational level. We shared this one weird obsession, which is our need for, you know, love from strangers gathered by making them laugh. Have you heard the Michael Anthony show? There's a tiny window where you feel happy. <laughs> tiny window. And that's like, I, I passed over six, seven years ago. And then you start worrying about young people coming up behind you. And mm. then the whole stress. Apparently at 60 or 70, you, you, you might get a moment of contentment again. <laughs> the sinking sand of despair The smell of dread in the air I'm head to toe in my own fear I'm going to die and I need to cry ah. You've lived in England now for, what, 20 years? About 20 years, yeah, yeah, it will be, it will be coming up 20 years now. And as much as I remember having to organize a 30th birthday party in London with when I where I knew nobody, um, and I'm 49 now, so I suppose we're, we're hitting that landmark, yeah. So it must be 20 years. Do you Jesus. think, as a nation, the Irish, because obviously we built New York City on the pint glasses of Guinness and that we've always been slightly oppressed, we needed to use humor as a defensive mechanism, but do you think, as a society, we slightly overrate? how funny we are. I mean, we're quite defensive. Massively. I, I also think, by the way, that we tend to self-mythologize like we built New York in the back of a pint glass and mm. we're really oppressed. And, you know, there was no, th- th- we have a, a storytelling tradition because it rained. Um, that I think is it's as mundane as that. We don't have any tigers. We don't have any, you know, dragons and, and dinosaurs, you know, so we had to tell stories. When I watched The Late Late Show, even though it's 2021, I still see... Bridget and Anthony wanting their kids to be married by 22, sitting in that audience, judging anyone who has anything to say. I, I still find it an awkward experience to watch. I think that tension still exists within the four walls of that Donny Brook studio. I think we're quite traditional still overall. Oh, no, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, uh, contribute on that. Like, whatever. Where are you from, Michael, by the way? Dublin. Um, yeah, see, where... I think, uh, yeah, I think, think you're, because I feel this a, a, a lot, The uh, that among the most foreign gigs I do, and I mean this in a, in, a, in a gentle kind of way, like whatever, would be outside the pale where, you know, like I would feel very strongly that the way Tommy, for example, in my field, Tommy Tiernan talks to people uh, outside of Dublin is a kind of innate, intuitive kind of understanding that he has with them that I, I don't have. I share certain things with them, but I think there is a split. I think there's a, a split between Dublin and not Dublin. The, uh, and obviously I'm from Bray, so I'll include the pale, basically, and not the pale, still, culturally. Uh, and I think that not that near the train can understand each other and, you'll, you know, you'll still do shows and go in and Cork and stuff. No, and I, in fact, you don't do shows and go in because it's not theatre. But the, um, you'll still do shows in Castle Bar and Killarney and stuff like that, like whatever. But there is an element of like, I, I, am, I am self-aware in that, in that context. So I yeah. think there is. But I do think there is a huge cultural divide in Ireland. Have the, you uh, nearly felt apologetic nearly for establishing yourself in the UK. You don't use the Irish jig thing that you'd see many Irish comedians do, you know what I mean? Oh, the Touradora type thing. Yeah, uh, yeah that kind of, that doesn't exist anymore, you know? the uh, And the Irish community in the UK is very different to the general Irish expat community uh, because there's no reason for them to gather together very much. So yeah. they're very spread into the country. I mean, Dublin's 40 minutes away. You don't have that kind of aching sense of, oh, my God, if I don't see another Irish person, oh, wait, I could just hop on a plane. So I think that meant that we are very disparate into, into the country. And so there are Irish centres, for example, but they kind of tailor to a, an older community um, a lot of the time. The, uh, and looking after, like the lads came over in the 60s and drank heavily and whatever, the, uh, in the construction, that kind of stuff. There's a bit of that still looking after, but the ballrooms have gone and Kilburn's no longer a thing. So I think trading as an Irish person doesn't really mean anything in the same way in the UK. Um, now, obviously, the minute I go outside, if I went to America, I'd pull on a green kilt and yeah. uh, be dancing. But no, the, it is there you do feel sometimes more like, oh, I feel the community have come out at times to see the show. But the weird thing for me is because I've been on over here so long, I'll get both the Irish expats and the British expats. 
like there I'm is there is an inferiority Irish people still feel amongst especially kind of southern English people I find there is a hatred that still still exists I'd find that with people even who are in their yeah. 20s and early 30s absolutely well do you mean like, do you London. mean like that do you mean the knee jerk kind of ah the Brits stole our bicycles kind of um uh 800 years yeah that has kind of developed into those cunts and made in Chelsea think they're better than me with their white shirts and their gelled fringe. But do you feel when you come back to Ireland, you do have a sense of, I have to make sure I don't think I'm above this because they will accuse me of thinking I'm above this. You can't walk into any room thinking, well, look, I'm just going to do this and you have to laugh because I am better. You just, you know, that's not how that, that dynamic works. The uh, I am aware, it happens less than it used to that. I remember once, for example, being on stage and uh, saying the M25 instead of the M50, yeah, uh, and getting a reaction off them and going, oh, for fuck's sakes, lads, you know, yeah. uh, and that can happen occasionally. But I'm quite strong in um, you don't get to declare me British, you, you know, when I'm back in Ireland, you don't get to say, oh, sure, you've been over there so long, you're, you're practically whatever. Yeah, that's shit. Like, uh, so I, I tend to shut that stuff down pretty quickly. But uh, but there is a thing that we I think we do still do create a kind of an antagonistic kind of response, which is fun in sport, let's say, but uh, not particularly helpful uh, socially. The, uh, and there is a point where it's nice to drop a lot of that baggage when you get over here because, you know, you're wishing unhappiness on your friends and, and you know, your, the, the yeah. friends you've made since, like whatever. So, so uh, it, that, that's kind of useful to, to get over some of that stuff. When you get so big and, and so kind of well-known of comedy, essentially just speaking your mind, like your brain formulates ideas and you, you verbalize it in a way, one of the most complicated skills in the world, but on paper, the most simplistic. You're just basically saying yeah. what you feel. When you get more well-known, do you find that your writing or your performance gets better due to the confidence that this is going to land because you have the taste of success? Or do you think you need that hunger, that, that uh, kind of pain? There, there's a number of things in, in that question. Yeah, hunger is great. Um, but, uh, and I'll say one of the reasons that comedy is a, is a, is a kind of useful industry to stay in long term is because you're not automatically rewarded. You still have to, you know, you'll get a big round of applause when you walk out, but you still have to do the thing. Uh, so uh, it's it automatically reminds you of the hunger when you do it. The, uh, and not in some fucking wanky way. Genuinely, if you're not funny, the, you know, the nightmare is you walk off to a smaller round of applause than you walked on to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, that that can genuinely be a thing, like whatever. Particularly irritating, by the way, there, there are periods during the development of a show where it is new. Uh, and you just fuck, you have to try stuff out. So you have to go to a small room and go with a piece of paper. I'm doing that at the moment, like whatever, and go, is this an idea? Is this an idea? And you, you often you don't know until you say the things out loud, whether they're really strong um, or they, or the first time you do it isn't going to be strong enough. And you know, it's going to get better when you do it two or three times, but there is, you just perennially run that fear because people go, all right, well, this is just going to be polished television and stuff. The, uh, and you're there going, Hey, what about shoes? What's up with them? Uh, and trying to work things out. Yeah. The, so you kind of have to, the, the, one of the, the things about stand-up is when you write a new show, you kind of have to relive the career again. You have to go back to small gigs and slowly work it and you back up again. The, uh, that's not unique, by the way, to Ireland or the Brit thing. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld did a brilliant documentary about it called Comedian of him write, dumping an old show and writing a new show. And it was kind of done like, oh my God, this is the most incredible thing anyone's ever done, even though literally everyone does it every time we do a tour. Um, but there's a bit at the end where he goes, at the end, when he's done all these gigs and built the whole thing up, he goes, right, all i got to do now is walk out, take the mic out of the stand, and I'm back in show business. So there's a touch of all this shit I've been doing for a while. Oh, God. And the sooner I can get back out is just to do this in the big room. But the, uh, there is, the, it, it helps uh, you when you've been doing this for a while because you know who you are. So you know what your comedy stance is. You know how... Um, you, the in quotation marks, the Darby they're seeing on stage is a character, not a, and it's not really a character, it's just me, but there's still an element of you heighten certain things. Uh, mm. And so the way you write is you write thinking in that, you, you think of the situations you're in and how would I respond to that or how would I? So actually a lot of it is very conversationally done uh, and you just, you know, run the conversations over and over in your head until you can find a, a, a good way to tell the story. And normally people want their nerds not being able to take the joke. 
So you nearly have two audiences. You have the kind of people who can't intellectualize it, who just find it very, very funny that you're on these use of complicated words, rants. And then you have the other side, the actual nerds themselves, go and look at him represent us. I get the nerds coming along. Uh, there are, uh, you know, because I'm a nerd myself. The uh, answer is nice to talk about these things. Uh, there is a pleasure in putting ideas into a show um, that are, are obscure uh, and difficult. And I think people are open to that. Once the thing, the joy about doing a tour is that once you're in the door, you know, you bought the ticket on behalf on, on the back of whatever reason. Either you've seen a show in the past or maybe you've just seen Mock the Week. And so you come along or maybe I just happen to be in the town that you live in and there's something else on a Tuesday night. Yeah. But once you're in, um, I then can do whatever the fuck I want with you. I and represent myself. If I represent anything else by, by coincidence, that's great. But you can't, you can't write comedy in that kind of, yeah, well, yeah. I, I better write this aiming at something else. You just have to write in what way am I, can I make this funny? Yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. you know, I mean, there's not, I mean, for example, there's a routine in the current show that I'm writing about uh, space, but in which I trash being into space, like whatever. I will know that I clearly don't believe this, but it's yeah. just, this is now a funny thing to go, stuck lads, look and start, they're just dots, you know, uh, and expanding on that as an idea. The, uh, is, is funny to do that as well, you know, so it's not all like pedagogic and uh, here, I, I will now make you learn something. The, uh, Sometimes you're playing with it, with, with it as well. Do you know what I mean yeah, by who the joke's kind of on? You don't write it with some master plan of, well, I'm going to hit this Venn diagram uh, of different audiences. You go, what's the funny thing that happened to me? I just happened to be into this stuff. So this is the stuff I write about. A lot of what you write isn't um, contrived quite as much as you might imagine in the same way that you don't, if you're a band, you kind of, your, your style is in your DNA. Um, you know, you don't you don't suddenly become go, well, fuck this, let's become a marimba band. We've been an indie band for ages, but let's just do that, like whatever. I think I think we're now funk, whatever. No, you that's who you it's what it's who you are. The uh, and that's the same thing happens in music in comedy as well. The uh that you know, that's I just talk very quickly, I, I trip over things and I get g- giddily excited about certain ideas. The uh but the joke is uh, is usually on me. That's um, the most useful in terms of the which way am I punching? I'm in the more anecdotal end of it all. So I'm just punching myself most of the time. Do you like Jerry Seinfeld? As a yeah, I, do. I, I think it's very, good. It's, a very, it's a very mannered type of comedy. Um, it's a very, very precise kind of thing. It's, a, it's almost like the benchmark of what Irish comedy is not. Yeah. To a certain extent. Because we'll do long rambling stories and we'll, we'll, and we'll carry along in the entire story. Whereas he'll go... What, what is the deal with this exact thing? And here is a twist. And there we go. Bang, we're done. Right. And there is a tremendous strength to that, like whatever, in a lot of great American comics who do really precise stuff. But we very much seem to have culturally gone the other direction, which is I'm going to ride the donkey all the way to the story and I'm going to ride the donkey back again. And then in the middle of it all, there'll be a bit of a story. And who knows? And the tension just gets built differently. So there's, there are as, as many laughs, but we're not as quotable or as, you know, reducible down to, you know, crisp one-liners. But it's more, I suppose, more theatrical, more storytelling. The beats are slightly different. But so it's almost like, I think it's, it's, ama- it's an amazing thing that he does. And he, and he obviously does it probably the best of anyone. But it's a, if that's not your voice, that's, you know, don't, don't be trying that. Competitiveness kind of has to be hidden as we trickle down the physicality of industries, if you're a sportsman and you think the full forward on the other team across the road, you're allowed to openly say he's shit. If it's music and you're standing at the back of Whelan's and you see another band you want to be better than, it's a kind of bad form to say they're not good. So you're kind of a bit artistically yeah. supportive. But in comedy, because it takes such bollocks and you're exposing so much your personality, is it really frowned upon to say, I don't think that person's funny, even if it's not in front of them? There's, a, there's an element of comedy is a lot more subjective than people feel it to be. People feel it very objectively. So they go, that made me laugh. That created in, in, in that response. So therefore that's funny, you know, I, and, and are less willing to do what they do with music of going, you know, I'm just not into that. I'm yeah. just, you know, I accept that that's very good. I accept that Taylor Swift is excellent at what she does, but that's just not my thing. Yeah. Nobody does have a comedy. We just go, no, he's shit. He's not funny. You know, so people are very absolute about what they do. And so I think we have a tendency amongst ourselves not to join in on that, like they, because these things come across as quite absolute. People are just so eager uh, to go, well, that's shit. <laughs> So we have a tendency not to stir that. And I find it quite irritating when people do, because we know it's a subjective thing. 
uh, and so yeah so, so probably there's a, there's a respect also and I'm you know sorry it just makes it sound like a club if you're standing up in front of an audience doing this trying this you're in the club you know it's a, yeah. it's a tough thing to do it's a tough thing there's a, there's a there's a leap to get over to get into doing it like whatever so good for you you know good for you just for doing it so we tend not to you know I mean obviously we'll joke among ourselves about who's shit and who's great whatever the yeah uh, but we tend not to go into because I think I don't think I also think it just looks a bit cheap but the but mainly mainly we're this weird you know we have this we share this one weird obsession which is our need for you know love from strangers gathered by making them laugh and so that you know quirk uh, of fate binds us a lot more than you know whether somebody's good or not and whether you know they and and the desire to you know, to say that say he's shit and that shit. That just you know, that's a. It's the, the the world is full of people instantly telling you how a, a comedian is shit. <laughs> so it's kind so we don't feel the need to join in. There's there, there's lots of that around. If you need that, I'm more into the fact that look, man, you did that. You were quite willing to go out there and do that. So good for you. You're you're in the you're in the gang. You talked about that need to kind of stand in front of people and make people laugh. Do you think that there's a huge narcissistic element to stand oh, yeah, up comedians? Yeah. Christ, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't think it necessarily spills into the rest of of, of life. I mean, I don't think there is a lot of what's written about comedy is written about American comedy, um, and a lot of people's perceptions of of it because American comedy tends to psychoanalyze itself quite publicly, and it's like, oh, all comedians are damaged, uh, and all comedians come from a very dark place, and depression is very common, and and, and I think people like these kind of things. Narcissism, maybe another thing, whatever. I know it's a, it's a it's a thing you do and you love doing and, you, and then you stop you grant <laughs> you you've got any system you the desire to be the center of attention has occurred for two hours of an evening so when I go out afterwards I'm not standing on tables going look at me look at me the uh, I'm done I'm grant I'm fine I've I've had my fill of that like whatever so actually comedians make fairly good house pets. They uh, we're kind of we just occasionally among each other, we want to talk industry a lot and bore our partners who aren't in the industry. But yeah. no, the, the narcissist thing isn't as isn't as, as hideous as you might think. Do you feel pressure if we're at a social gathering, though, that if you no. are particularly no, no, funny no, no. in a sentence, nothing going, I look at him being funny. No, no, I don't even feel pressure on in this context to be funny. They uh, I'm much more happy to be talking you know, in an arm wavy way about the nature of comedy the, uh, than I am necessarily to do the stuff. Because the stuff is, 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 is their bits, they're, they're contrived. You know they're contrived. You sat in a room and wrote them like. It's not like, you know, the, and the, the rhetorical tricks you use to make an audience laugh are in conversation really loud. They're really stroppy. Like the way you'll demand attention and pause and time things yeah. to make things funny in a, in a group situation don't work. They're really shouty. Yeah, uh, and so uh, so no, no, not not in the slightest. I mean, we didn't say that I, you know, I don't throw in a bon mot. Like I'm a I'm a good person to have around the table, but you know, I, I'm also very happy not to be. Is yeah. there anyone who's gone out unwritten and just ranted in the history? Oh no, of you you'll do. I mean, the people who make a virtue of it, and there's bits in the show that you will do. You know, you mean like like, like what, improvisational stuff? George Carlin. It, it is obviously pre-written, but he's very, very good at making it sound like he's literally just having a vent in front of But him. he had a vent and then just remembered the vent and vented it again. He walked around having a vent and he, and he conversation went, oh, look, the, this word, that word, this word, these are the words, you know, the seven words, whatever you can't say, uh, yeah. whatever, to pick a card routine. Was the, uh, he would have talked that out and then he would have gone and talked it out on stage, like whatever. So the moment of creation for each of those little bits of it were moments of creation, were pure moments of creation of him just talking a thing out. But just the skill is, oh yeah, that's useful. And in fact, if I, if, I align, if I put that bit with that bit, it builds. And if I put those things, or now if I move all that order of those things around, or I'll say it a few more times, I'll spot the gaps and see where more stuff can go in. So each of them are bits of invention. People have a weird kind of thing about it. A, you know, we are aware that there are people who like the illusion that we just walk, we just stand there and just talk. The, uh, while at the same time in the same audience the people who'd be furious if you charge 30 euros for a show and didn't have something ready so you have so you kind of have that weird tension within the audience so I for example always build in conversational parts of the show but it's 
it genuinely slightly infuriating to me to a grown up who goes, Oh, I watch your show. She's amazing. You do that. You make the whole thing up. No, of course, they don't make up the fucking whole thing. It's two yeah. hours long. It had, did you not notice that there were callbacks and there were video bits and, or whatever? There were the things that clearly it's not all made up. It's just conversation, but it starts conversation. You never write it down. It's not a script. You just talk it out and out and out and talk it out and talk it out and it becomes like a muscle memory that you, this is how I'll do it. You write down the headings or the, the, the bits you'll make them remember. Like, and, uh, and then you just talk it and talk it and talk it. So it is conversational. You see so many people who would have been so good at it, who just didn't have the confidence to think their words were worthy of an audience in which you go, Jesus Christ, they're funny. They could have had a George Carlin rant. He just had the kind of foresight to go, people want to hear this. That kind of deficit and confidence yeah, has caused yeah, so look, many people a great job in comedy. I can name a, a few people. The other thing is, is that it wasn't that George Carlin had the force to just write it down. George Carlin did all the little gigs. George Carlin spent, um, George Carlin had such an insane need, um, like any of us, for, to do it, that he was willing to spend years schlepping around tiny clubs. You know, it's not like, it wasn't society. I mean, the, the entry port into, into comedy is, is really straightforward. Like, there are gigs, they are open mic gigs. I do, I, I do look at people who I think, oh, they were fun. They could have done it. But they clearly didn't have that missing desire to, you know, desire to be the most freelancer you could possibly be, where literally yeah. nothing comes in unless you drive to Bolton to do 20 minutes on stage or whatever. The, uh, so it was, it, so it's, it's a, yeah, I, I think the, uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the need to do it is probably the biggest thing that uh, changes being people who are funny in college, but just didn't do comedy. Do you remember the first time you got up on stage? Yeah, yeah, very, very vividly, yeah. Where was it? It was in a club called Chubangs, no longer existence in, first time I ever got on stage to do comedy, just comedy, as opposed to in university where I was in doing the L and H and things like that. The, uh, but, so I had, I, I, I remember my first college debate type thing. But I also quite differently remember the first time it was a place in front of grown-ups where I had to um, actually just make them laugh um, expressly outside of the bubble of, of UCD, the university you and I both went to. The, uh, so, uh, so I remember both. I remember the first, in the first one was the first time I was, doing, I was doing a debate and I told a joke about the law faculty or whatever. That got a huge laugh. Uh, and that was the first time I'd ever told a joke in public. And that set off a spike of adrenaline. Jesus, what was that? Because um, I didn't expect, it got a laugh and a round of applause, and I was like, "Whoa, fucking hell!" And then I carried on with with slightly lesser jokes for the rest of the six and a half minutes. Yeah, so that so that around. one moment kind of gave you was a huge, feeling yeah. that you yeah. that went on to be your career. It's sort of yeah. I mean, again, and I suppose there's been an element of chasing the high ever since. I suppose the uh, or going oh, that that was a thing. That was the thing I'd like to happen more of. A friend had set up an arts club in Rathmines in a restaurant called Chewbangs, and they said you should you 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 should do it. You should try just just putting together a set uh, or whatever they said. I don't know what words he was. And I put five to 10 minutes of gags together and um, spent four hours being nervous about it and walking around mines, shit myself, went up and hugged the microphone, like literally held the microphone tight and did all my jokes. And there was like a, there was a long bit about, I don't know, like I actually pointed to even saying it. It was, it was, it was, it was grand. It was fine. It was sufficiently good that, that I got some laughs and went and did more of it again. I thought I'd just give it a go. Uh, but I also then, you know, I was trying to get any media, I started getting any work I could. I was writing bits for newspapers and I was um, trying to get um, jobs on doing maybe something in RTE, like whatever was all very vague. Like so, but I quickly began to make sufficient money just to cover rent. It, which was significantly cheaper in 1995 in Dublin than it would be now. But there was enough in a, in a few gigs to cover your, cover your costs. Talk to me about Arsenal. What's going on? Um, we are rebuilding, apparently. The, uh, so the, it's a... Uh, <laughs> who knows how long the project will take? And you have to respect the project. Or Look, the, um, they, are, they are probably suffering now for the a period of some five, 10 years of torpor by the owners who bought the thing as a cash cow, like buying a fucking shopping mall uh, and then did nothing with it. And it was clear, and that lack of energy and lack of drive, because they do this in America with their, their teams. I mean, the Denver Nuggets have not troubled uh, the NBA playoffs uh, very much. There's a lot of that. They, they, they buy, they, they did actually end up in a Super Bowl recently, but I think it was a surprise to them as much as anything else. And that's in a system that actually literally actively gives good players to bad clubs. Yeah. They're not a, they're not a huge investors the, uh, in things, the uh, crunkies. So, uh, so this was just, it felt like part of their, you know, real estate 
uh, empire. And then they 100% bought out any other competing uh, voices. So it was just them. And I think that just made the whole thing grind down in energy. And it takes, it's a long time to turn a ship. And so decisions made three, four years ago are why it's in a torpor at the moment. Now, the interesting thing is, I suppose if, if that theory is true, then the fact that they've gone to a transfer window buying only 22 and 23 year olds, who's all seem fairly talented, um, means that, okay, let's give them a few years to see, can they turn that around? But, you know, people these days, their attention span is quite short. It has been grim to watch. Uh, and the table at the moment is, you know, I think it's slightly, you know, the fact that we're playing Chelsea and Man City in the first two games, and we're always going to lose those two games. The, uh, you know, the best we could have got out of this would have been three points anyway. On more of a micro level, because I'm a United fan, I kind of obviously have a huge problem with the Glazers as well, but I still don't think that on a managerial level, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the man to have no, Manchester. I would, I would, I would, Do you think Arteta I is? I'm not sure either about that, to be honest. Uh, and I think there's periods where um, we go to long runs of being terrible. Um, where it seems that there's no leadership at all and defensively it's, very, it's, it's quite poor. And we've been relied on some really sparkly talent up front to drag us out of that. So no, I'm significantly less um, uh, convinced than I was maybe a year ago. But um, but I am, however, willing to give them the season. They, uh, and, you know, I, I, I also don't like, I think we come across as one of the worst, most fucking complainy, whiny clubs. The, uh, I had, I live... Like at the end of my road is the Brentford Stadium, and oh, I no. blagged tickets from them for the first game of the season, um, and what went to to see it. And the contrast between how mediocre we were and just how there was no danger from it at any stage, and how, what a grim shadow was hanging over it, grim, but again, like a kind of torpor was hanging over Arsenal, um, versus the just joyous. Um, response within the Brentford Stadium. They were so thrilled to be there. Uh, their team was really, really up for it. They were really excited. And it's, love, it's a lovely club, you know, and they're, it's all my local. So I went into whatever, into, into, into club, but everyone was very, being very, very nice. There's no kind of weird, awkward tension. I mean, I, I've been beaten. So I suppose there's an element of like, they're happy to be generous to me. But the, uh, but the fact that I was local was cool. And it was, they were all like, they were just, they were just delighted. Um, to be in the league and to be seeing this happening and and everything else is a bonus like and it was just genuinely quite refreshing and reinvigorating and then would you be in the away end of that no that was it was in the stand I, I blagged the tickets for that no I couldn't blag them for the away end I blagged them for the stand were but, you, you Wenger know, in or Wenger out at the time back in I the was Wenger in a lot of the time to be honest uh, um, I think he did a superb and I, and I thought one of his great achievements was keeping it going but then it was equally I was also at the League Cup final um, where we lost to Birmingham and the mm-hmm. guy who was supposed to book was supposed to book like a mini bus for about eight of us to go, but miss you know for several misunderstood what the guy said and ended up booking a limo proper limousine, and we had to pull up in a limousine, which is embarrassing beforehand, but fucking mortifying after we'd lost when all of me Martin stick ones in. Yeah. yeah, exactly. To the clumsiest um, fuck. I wasn't it wasn't an own goal, but but essentially deserved to be an own goal. Um, you know, uh, and trickle the ball away from the keeper, and then somebody taps into an open net they go crazy we scurry from the stadium and then we have to watch this limo going around around about outside Wembley because we just would run out of the shadows jump in and you drive around again and collect another person because we didn't want to be seen getting into a limousine a shot of me stepping into a white limousine having lost the Carling Cup final would you still have that bit of Irishness in you, though, that wanted England to lose the Euros final? It's too much fun, uh, that thing. I mean, like, I, like while I don't, I, I, like, I wasn't sitting there shouting against him because I'm surrounded by my family who are English, and it's kind of like, yeah. I'm not going to, you know, shout for you to be unhappy, like, whatever. There's, it's tough for me to go to be overly enthusiastic about them doing well. They, although I will say they're much, like, they're just, you know, the whole kneeling thing and the progressive and, the, and Saka and all that, like whatever, there's so much to like about them, which is the infuriating thing. Like it was much easier when it was John Terry and Lampard to go, oh, fuck England. Like they, uh, and like they had that arrogance about them, which they don't have at the moment. And they're all nice young men, you know, who do tons of work for charity. Like, and you're going, okay, fair enough. Like we should probably, you know, they, uh, but look, um, the best team won the, won the, the, I mean, Italy were the best team, are the best team in the world at the moment. Like the, yeah, so, uh, and it was also exciting to see that when push came to shove, all the other faces of supporting England who had been well suppressed for the most of the tournament 
just erupted out of the uh, of the woodwork on the last day with flares up their arse in the middle of Leicester Square. We'd forgotten you guys. It was all kneeling in happiness. And now it's kneeling and, and Marcus Rashford feeding uh, hungry children. Like, and no, flare up the arse, guy doing cocaine in the middle of a fountain. You guys are still here. People kicking their way in to see the to to, to, to stand in the disabled um, area, you know. It's like, oh, those guys are they they never went away. But is there any part of you, like kind of someone who values the actual quality of sport, that kind of thinks there's a little bit of marketing to this that is overcompensating for not the on-field ability his following and salary might require do you know what i mean uh no do you know i i it's not out of any kind of like i am i'm not too rosy-eyed about this stuff like whatever but he seems to be it seems to be very genuine as, as a gesture seems to come from a, he seems to come from a particular place and the gesture does as well um and we would like i mean the the, the i've many of the footballers i've met are actually very personable you know, nice young men. Arsenal seemed, I, Wenger sort of picked personalities like a bit like, like whatever. So you'd meet them at things or whatever and they were very, just very down to earth. And then there'd be like a charity dinner type thing and they were a lot less crass about the money they had but they were and not, not quicker to put their hands in their pockets than a lot of people of similar earnings in, in business. The kicking they get, I think is, is ludicrous in terms of people going, oh, how dare they get this? As if, you know, they do a ridiculous job uh, which Everyone wants, but they are the most like, who will do this. But also the, the other reason I kind of have don't have any problem with, with what they earn is because I know I pay to watch them play. No, but I mean, does I would, Rashford want to be a YouTuber at 30 or does he want to be a top football player? Like this is kind of the debate coming into things now. There's footballers sitting on Twitch in which they play PlayStation and put their Man of the Match awards on top of the console <laughs> and are giving us media quotes. It seems like... They've actually lost the love of the game. That's the fear amongst the amongst the kind of working class fans who are often accused of conservative beliefs for just fearing the fact that their actual game, the thing that they put all their pain and anguish into, is is evaporating in front of their eyes. I, look, I think there are individual footballers who you think you're not that into this, and like and I think there's a very good interview. God, he's in Spurs. Who's the kind of left back for Spurs? Who did an interview saying, look, but he did Asu a really Okatu good interview. Possibly, in- I think didn't mm-hmm. football. Asu Okatu, I think. Came yes, that's it. Who did an interview going, look, it's just a job. I actually don't really like this. It's just a job, and you kind of go, well, I suppose, actually, I suppose it is. You do this thing five days a week. It is, of course, it's just a job, like whatever. I think we demand a, 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 an astonishing amount from our sports people that they should um, not just be good at the thing that we pay them to, to do but that should also be somehow role models in other ways and yeah. in a way that we don't expect from anyone else they uh and uh I th- it's very it's i think it's i think it's very nice to pile it onto usually young men who have who left school at 12 or 13 they uh and and who have been reared to a greater or lesser extent in a bubble and not not to any fault of their own but this is the kind of like bizarre rarefied world that they glide or or are are, are glided through um, but so, but I think we, um, what's the word I would use, uh, transfer a lot of our own neuroses onto them. And childhood and kind of refusal yeah. to, to accept the kind of reality of the world in a way. You'd love Dennis Bergkamp to a nearly irrational level as a man. I'd love Thierry Henry to an almost irrational level. If you were in the presence of Henry, do you become a 14 year old again? Uh, there's a there's an to which that the, the I in when the whole selfie thing was was very popular. The only two people I would really uh, push to get photographs with were astronauts or footballers. So there you go. I'm a fucking twelve year old again, and so my phone is filled with astronauts and footballers. The uh, Arsenal footballers specifically. Um, the uh, and usually NASA astronauts. Very few cosmonauts made the cut. The uh, but it was a. Uh, they, so that was a kind of the yeah I, I I would have been no you know it's it's if I was around somebody who was a football hero and I saw him being a dick to a waiter that would I would instantly the, the other kick think of thing goes all right he's that guy's a dick would you be following the Stephen Kenny situation one win yeah I am yeah. at the moment yeah and like I mean I like the green shoots the the the, um, the young lads who were saying that keeper was discovered the uh, again the left back uh, who had that shot at the, at the end. Uh, I'm a, oh, I'll, I'll get it wrong. So I, it's the uh, I'm a, I'm a Bama Medeli left back, right back, right back. Um, you can see uh, pockets of things change, but like the um, I don't know. I really I don't know how much you know what uh, what the pool is at the moment and how good it should be. I find it very difficult to judge how good it should be. Surely, how, surely how we're getting a John Delaney bit in the next tour. No, uh, because no one outside of Ireland has a fucking clue who John Delaney is. 
But you could explain it surely about the guy who asked for us to be the 33rd team at the World Cup. There is a level of victimization to Irish society, especially when it comes to sport that is unrivaled. The sport brings the victimhood out in people the, of going, oh, well, we should be, because the joy denied. We feel of the, that, and we oh, I could be, I could be happy now instead of watching some Chelsea feckers jumping up and down. The uh, so I think there is a yeah, I, I I don't think we're unique in that. I think that wasn't was a bit craven as a thing. I'd forgotten that, but uh, but I'm sure I could find an equivalent thing that the uh, that the FA did in a similar situation. The hand of God against England is let's blame him to an extent, but let's turn the joke on us. When Thierry Henry handballed, and this isn't a lie. In November 2009, I walked into a spa in Rat Mines and the headline was Hand of Frog. And I was very angry with myself. And then he scored a goal against uh, Leeds in the FA Cup. Like, and he was the happiest I've ever been I've there, you know. And then when I said, oh, my God, I don't think I've ever enjoyed anything as much as that uh, army goal. I got loads of people going, yeah, but what about Ireland? The, yeah. We acted as if it was the second coming of Martin Cahill, though. Yeah, but it was, we were robbed a spot. And actually, what was more irritating was the fact that when they went to the World Cup, they completely imploded. Oh, France. yeah. They, they basically held the meat over our face saying, this is how little we appreciate what happened. Yeah. Oh, no, no. And like, I mean, and then had to essentially, like, they came bottom from the group, didn't they? And like, and they were huge, domina- Raymond Dominetti and all these people yeah. fighting. And it, was, and it was like, they were a disgrace to the tournament. We should have had that spot, not even 37, 30, we should have had that spot because they clearly were, were wasting it. But, you know, and it's, but it is, it's, it, there would have been a great, a huge amount of joy if we got to that thing and it was taken away. From, so, I, yeah, grand. But honestly, it's no different. It's like the hand of God has been referred to here repeatedly. They still go on about it. Yeah, they still go on about the, And that was like, what, uh, 35 years ago now? Mm, exactly. Still here by the hand of God here. They, uh, so, you know. Uh, and and it revi- and then VAR just made me go, well, if VAR happened in the hand of God, people do this, still banging on about this shit. Like, would you be an anti dubs guy? No, because you know what? I'm I've sort of switched off on, on Gaelic football when I see footballers running forward and then curving around and running backwards and hand passing it back. And I go, what the fuck is that? The uh, the game is just bizarre. It's, it's as a sport, I don't think it's kept up with how physically powerful the players are. Um, and so it's been shaped, it's been twisted out of all shape, the uh, football. Whereas hurling is, remains beautiful and gorgeous. Well, would you support and, Wicklow because they're from Bray or would you be a dub? I would check for Wicklow. I, I, yeah, but I, you know, look, that's a brief, that's a very short hobby every year. Yeah. yeah it's got, I mean, I was, I, was, I was, because I played schools in Dublin uh, and I played a lot of club matches in Dublin, I feel a, a certain connection to it. But I also feel like, you know, it would be a bit piggybacking of me for people to, to be. Uh, jumping up and down for the whole thing. I, was, I think I was happy with the, with the first couple and then like, yeah, I got the... I got, I got when the when did you stop playing sport? Would you do a run? No, I've, I've a, I have a shitty knee, so I, I stopped playing when I was about 19. Um, I have a... I, like I'm, I, was on, I had an operation this summer, which is like the second or third I've had in it. So, uh, so no, I got bounced out of sport, um, unfortunately quite young. I was very, and I was eager. I played, I played hurling and gaelic football um, and, you know, at, at a busy level, I'd say, rather than actually at, at a high level. But then... College came along and, and my leg couldn't take it enough. So my lifestyle then became late night and drinking and stuff. So what's yeah, the story with fatherhood, Dara? Does it change as much as they say? Or is it it does, but it doesn't change in a way. I mean, I think the problem is that people do become people's perspective changes um, and you become more rounded and more than you had been, but not more than other people, <laughs> you know, there's a twitch of people. Go, but some people mistake the, well, I, I certainly am a different person after I had children yeah. uh, with, I, uh, people think, well, you're saying, I, you're saying I'm not a better person. No, I'm just saying I am a, be- I have learned more of a thing, but also you think, see things in yourself that you might not, might not really like. I mean, you might you find you're more short, short tempered than you are or whatever, you know, the, uh, that it's not necessarily all just fucking, you know, because time spent with your own kids while a tremendous privilege is also, <laughs> there is a single parent I know when I say I tour, for example, it's a gambling game where I go, I'd be around, away a lot and everyone I know is the parent goes, oh, that must be terrible to be away from your children and there's like a fucking beat and then they go, must be great to be away from kids. You go, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. lovely. It's, it's, it's a very, it's, the best way to describe it is it is, it is very immersive. It is a task and it is a job you will take on whose time scale is greater than any task you've taken on ever before in your life. No matter what age it happens at, there'll be no point where you have a kid where you'll have gone previously, okay, well, this is the next 30, 35 years of my life, mm. maybe 40, 50, who knows? The, uh, and like, I mean, I'm really immersive for the first 18 to 25. The, uh, it is, there's nothing uh, 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 that works on the same geological timescale. 
And it's just like, oh, wow, fuck me. And so it's like being given an idea of how slow the universe actually is in some ways. You go, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to keep happening. Yeah. For the same amount of time as I've been alive, I'm still going to be doing this. Was there like a switch? Were you one of those guys who planned towards having kids? Was there ever a time you were actually... No, it was, kind of, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was around about the right time. But look, the other thing about it is you get no real control to a certain extent. If it happens, it happens. And, you know, the other thing is that you, you get very... Um, because if it happens to you, great. There's enough people around you who found it more difficult, who had to go on a different journey or it didn't happen. And so that becomes a very commonplace conversation for you to have a big conversation, but very commonplace about how this all works out. So no, you know, you, it, 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 I was lucky that it was around about the same right time that I was interested in doing it and, you know, it worked out for me. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's not a, thing you get to decide really. and are you are you good mates with your folks because you see a lot of people you kind of hit that age around 30 and you kind of realize you're different people and you're up for kind of a separation but a consistent from your parents contact. what happens weirdly is that i think you um you know that kind of you love them you hate them you forgive them you move into the third stage with your own folks of a understanding what they did you know and, and none of people go fuck me i actually yeah they had to do they had to clean up my shit and just oh right i see the scale that they're working at and, and how this happened and how how not easy this was to remain consistent to remain you know um to be you know to always be reacting to rapidly changing situation it's like some rock yeah that delivers wonderful sage advice constantly uh, in teaching moments that doesn't fucking happen so it's much messier and much kind of more um kind of like you're improvising the idea that you have a philosophy is hilarious anyway if if yeah. in retrospect you can construe that there was a philosophy working there great <laughs> but you you're reacting constantly it's like a fucking 30 year improv do you think there's benefits in the whole kind of um it's okay to talk culture or do you think that there could be a, a sense of not just normalizing having mental health problems but celebrating it that is taking away resilience from people Oh, that's interesting. Um, no, I don't think it is. I think we we have a tendency to be uh, to brush a lot of things under the carpet. Um, so I think it it it's broadly a positive thing. It's an it, whether whether it will do what you think there that it might bend back again and people will be less will go. Oh, for God's sake, we just had to get through this. Whatever. Um, I don't know, but I don't think. I think we're still at a point where this is just like people going. I've had a rough time. I just feel I should say it. Still is kind of surprising to see. There's a comedian, I won't say his name, whatever, who very recently posted one of those things on Twitter. Like, and it's still quite jarring to have somebody go, man, I almost ended it recently because I just couldn't take it anymore. That's still a, a huge shock when you see it. It's also a huge <laughs> shock to see like a, a woman in her mid-20s or a bloke put up a topless picture on their latest holiday in Dubai in which they're only going to please other people and then talking about their anxiety in the next post. I'm not on Instagram. No, I'm on that Twitter. Is but poisoned they, uh, society to an extent that is unexplainable. Well, there's um, certainly I think uh, well, from what I see from what little scene of Instagram, it does create a, a, a tendency to I will now portray the most perfect fake life, you know. Yeah. And I think that creates you know, and that's look. I'm sure there'll be instances of male body dysmorphia to go alongside generations of female body dysmorphia. They uh, so uh, it's a pity that we haven't learned to try to get rid of all of this stuff. Instead, we go no, let's actually also do it to young men as well. The uh, so uh, it's a um, I, yeah I think I think that uh, golden the gilded life thing uh, that Instagram seems to encourage here are my legs by a pool um, yeah. kind of <laughs> image is uh, uh, yeah that's it's 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 a bit showy uh, and uh, that itself I don't judge people on their anxiety because it's who knows what specific of, of of a specific thing are but I I'm very happy to judge them by the photos by the pool. The Catholic yes. Church in Ireland has got to the point of such ridiculousness that it's now funny or horrible monster bastards who are unforgivable. It just feels like yesterday's thing, doesn't it? It, it does, feel like but I can, does, I can, it, does I can, it stay in you as you go? Like my generation, no, not it at doesn't, all. it just leaves. No, it's irrelevant. amazing. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's um, once, I've, once you've cut the cord, like it's grand. And like what was weird when the... Um, what are the latter, possibly, yeah, I don't know which of the two referendums. I think it's, let's say, it's, let's say it was the first, let's say it was the... Um, uh, the, no, actually, I think it was. I think it was the abortion one. Um, there were priests going, "Well, we really have to listen to this, and and maybe we maybe we've lost the year of the country." And you're going, "Man, you lost divorce in '95. You're like literally mm -hmm. 25 years behind the point where people decided yours was not the model uh, for how they wanted to live, how a society should be built. So that's gone. 
So I totally feel like, why, why are you, to a certain extent, not why are you even in this conversation, because they're still a stakeholder, I suppose, uh, in the Irish terminology, but the, uh, they're not, they're not, you know, I think, I think they're not the, by any stretch of the imagination, even a thing that crosses my mind uh, anymore. I wonder what the Catholics will think of this. I saw an interview with you recently, which is talking about the adoption thing. Is that something that they're going to try kind of make a TV program about and you go searching for it and all this kind of stuff? Is it overblown in terms of what we're reading about? It, it is. I mean, but I, it's a story generation. that I may tell myself. Um, uh, but I have, um, when I went on and spoke about it for the first time, and I think it's an important thing. I don't yeah. think I'm not, I'm not overstate it's important. My mom's actually right. um, from the one that is in Philomena, the one in Ross Gray. You, hang on, your mum is? Adopted from the, the same actual, the one in, in, in. Wow, Jesus, okay. With access to the mother's details, but the father is literally a fictional character. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. given yeah. her around eight bullet points and it's made up. It's all horse shit, man. It's insane. It's, uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they seem to have done a lot of... He was a medical student because then uh, adopt, uh, potential adoptive parents would go, oh, oh, that's very, that sounds very, yeah. very respectable. And so the child would be more appealing to them because even they go, well, it's been a difficult start for the child as a medical student. Uh, and so, yeah, mine was the same. My, my bullshit uh, dad biog was the same. It's a very, it was a very common thing. Do you reckon the, the likelihood is possibly that the dads were all priests? No, uh, it's not. It's not specifically in this case. Uh, and no, no but I, I mean, as far back as the 50s, I'm saying. No, no, just, no, 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 no. No, the dads were just were just guys. And the process didn't include them, and so they had to. They, they just put down something, but they were just they were just men. They were just men in the in the community. Young people were having the ride. Uh, she would get pregnant. He would simply disappear from the process at that point. But if the uh, same and, woman is putting four kids up for adoption, does it not sound like she's kind of been raped in the name of the Bible? Um, well, first, is there a specific person you're talking? My grandmother, I'm talking. About. Okay, Grant. Fifty percent of of adoption cases in Ireland uh, were uh, women who give more than one child up for adoption. Okay. It was, yeah, it's enormously common for people to have done it again and again, a few times. Just there was there was no mechanism for them to keep the child. There was no there was no um, payments. Uh, the there was no, you know, um, welfare. The welfare thing wasn't there. There was still a, the the kind of the whole thing of shame for like whatever. So it used to happen, and people would go, "Well, I can't do this, and my family would support me." So. I would hand the child. And there was no there was no abortion, there was no contraception. And adoption itself was illegal to 1952. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the uh so you couldn't even do that. You you all you had was some mother and baby home or so so the mechanism of it were it was it just just fucked young women. People were engaged in relationships, but like and you know, it happened a lot. People got pregnant because people get pregnant. There's no contraception, so people get pregnant. The, uh, uh, but just the, there was no mechanism for the state to deal with it. Do you think it's something that we, from outsiders who haven't experienced adoption, kind of, we overrate how important biological relationships are and the fact that an adoptive family, it is your family and they do kind of become strangers. Your birth family becomes strangers. Like, of course. It, it, uh, yeah. the, the, uh, and it goes back to the parenting thing we talked about there. And it's a thing that uh, it tallies. I mean, I, I've... Uh, recently met my family. I I I found okay. them very nice and got on very well with them. But like I mean, I'm aware that they're not my family. Yeah, um, yeah, they, uh, they're they're uh, because they're not. But uh, it's a um. But I think yeah, I think there's an idea. There's, there is a presumption because I think it's sold in shows with Davina McCall, uh, uh reuniting people and they're all weeping tears and stuff like that yeah. or whatever. The uh, that there'll be somehow a connection automatically and the process that you go through with this most of it is just going look just manage your expectations this may happen this may not happen it may be confusing it may be difficult maybe it may be just cold maybe they're 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 strangers they're they're i mean it was just it was it was a it was a it was a nice thing to do and i don't get into specifics of it now yeah yeah because it's all very recent still ongoing but uh but you know but you don't go it's not like mommy this is i'm finally (laughs) no because the person who's your parent is the one who's there for the years and years and years of stuff being done, like whatever. But no one, by the way, within the, no one within this thing questions this. No one goes, in the other side, is, is, is disappointed. We all know that the person who raises, because when you start raising a child, fuck me, it involves being around a lot and being there. Or like, and, you know, the, yeah, it was like lockdown was like an ultimate version of that because you're also going to be a teacher as well and everything. So like, no one is under any doubt about how 
you know, parenting is 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 a grind of time and time and time and time and time. But the flip side of which is therefore the, the people you your your parent will always be the people who are there year after year after year yeah, after yeah, year. Yeah. After. So the fucking some so the DNA connection can't trump that. But there but that doesn't mean that you can't have it's a relation, but an excellent relationship with the person that, or the or the family that you've discovered later. It just means no, no, no one is naive enough to think that they suddenly become, you know, your parents. <laughs> the, it's like the uh, they're because your parents are the ones who raised you and raising you. All the, did, did all the you see anything around things. the eyes that looked like the mirror? You know, it, it it's never that neat. It's never that uh, straightforward. It's not you walk into a load of doppelgangers. And stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's an enormously interesting thing. And I'll find ways to tell the story myself. The, uh, but uh, when I did come out, I had about, I had a number of people contact me going, we, would you be interested in making a documentary? No, I'm, 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 yeah, no yeah. I'm quite private about these things. So, yeah, uh, so. Dara, I'm sorry if I fucked you off and came across as a, a youthful guy attempting to be a revolutionary. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm like no, it's cool. It's really like, interesting. Yeah. It, it's genuinely really interesting. It's a conversation. Like, you're wearing your 20s in your sleeve and I'm wearing my 40s on my sleeve. But so neither of them are correct uh, as a stance to take on, the, on these things. Both of them are, are perfectly valid. And I look forward to meeting the 60-year-old version of me who looks back at the fucking 14-year-old version of me and goes, Really? Um, yeah, there is. We live in an ever shifting world. It changes, and we're all trying to make some sense out of it. There's Great a talk. tiny window where you feel happy, <laughs> tiny window, and that's like I, I passed it about six, seven years ago. And then you start worrying about young people coming up behind you, and mm. then the whole stress. Apparently, at sixty or seventy, you, you you might get a moment of contentment again. But there you go. It's been fascinating talking. Look, uh, a delight, Michael. Uh, and the best look, sorry, you were doing the wrap up there, wasn't it? See, you know, no, there is no real wrap up. Fuck I, I, couldn't even spot, I couldn't even spot the bit where you, you know, so you, you told me that uh, you had to leave at one, and then there was a. Uh, there was I literally have to. I've, I, I've, got, I've got a physio appointment on my, on my knee, I had an operation seven weeks ago. Yeah, so, so, so I'm, I'm actually doing it for you. I, I talk all day, but as I said, Daryl Breen, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, top man. No, you can you can talk, man. It's not we don't. There we go. No, no, no. It's kind of, I, I was letting. I'm giving you a clean out. The no, um, yeah. Michael, a pleasure. I genuinely do have to have have a physio um, appointment, so I have to go and basically do squats on a shitty leg uh, for for a few minutes and and uh, and show them how my crutch technique is coming on. All right, yeah, good so man. I have to go do that. But uh, an absolute pleasure. Good luck with it. And uh, and also genuinely really interesting conversation. It's been now many years, my oh, boy. You still don't know my tears of joy. No need to go, just take it slow. And have you heard the Michael Anthony show? Makes me see the light. What about those tears? Tears believe my eyes. The hell's it make a fair? Makes me 